What time is it? Well, you know it's maritime. Welcome to our podcast where we talk about all things maritime. The maritime industry is a major driving force in the global economy, and it affects all of us where we live. Our goal with this podcast is to raise awareness about the extraordinary people and amazing companies in this industry. Our guest on today's podcast is Dr. Ann Jarris. She's a CEO and co-founder of Discovery Health MD, a company that provides a variety of medical services to remote workers with a significant focus on those in the maritime industry. I'm Colin Folon. I'm a maritime lawyer at Schwabi Williamson and Wyatt, and I'm thrilled to be talking today with Dr. Ann Jarris. In October 2016, Dr. Jarris co-founded Discovery Health MD, a medical risk management service for the commercial maritime industry, serving the women and men who make a living at sea. Dr. Jarris and her team have a comprehensive suite of services to help protect the health and livelihood of mariners while mitigating the financial risk for maritime companies. Discovery Health MD provides 24-7 medical advisory services to their clients, medical chest management, and fitness for duty evaluations, drawing upon their deep expertise in maritime medicine, occupational health, and logistics. Dr. Jarris has practiced medicine for over 15 years in urban and remote settings, and her experience includes occupational, emergency, wilderness, and virtual medicine. Dr. Jarris holds a medical degree from the Mayo Clinic School of Medicine, and she completed her residency in emergency medicine at University of Arizona. Dr. Jarris also earned an executive MBA from Seattle University. Wow, that is an impressive medical and business resume. Uh, welcome, Dr. Jarris. Thanks for joining us today. Well, thank you very much for having me. I appreciate the opportunity to speak with you. Well, it's our pleasure. Maybe you could start off by telling our listeners about your path into maritime medicine. How did you get where you are today? Yeah, it was a really long and unexpected road. You know, you hear the Steve Jobs quote that you you can't connect the dots looking forward. The pattern only makes sense when you look backwards. And that was very much my case. I went into medicine and found my way into emergency medicine and was practicing in the Seattle area. But I was kind of unhappy with the healthcare system for obvious reasons. So I was trying to find ways to improve healthcare in, in my world, trying to use telemedicine, trying to you know, meet the needs of employers around our emergency departments, and getting frustrated that I was unable to really affect change. So I decided to get my MBA because obviously the problem was I just didn't understand business. But I think I discovered that the problem is that the healthcare system is kind of a mess. <laughs> But I very much remember the first time I set foot on a factory trawler, all those dots fell into place. And I said, this is the place where I can use my education and my experience to actually make a difference. What was it about that coming onto that trawler that pulled all the pieces together for you? You know, I'd had this background in wilderness medicine. You know, I've always, always been very involved in skiing and mountaineering and very much enjoyed that wilderness medicine aspect of it. So getting to see a workplace that was really that remote and understanding you know, the work environment of the Bering Sea, which is so extremely remote. That was exciting. That definitely, I could see opportunities where we could make a difference there based on my history with remote medicine. That makes perfect sense. What would you say your typical day is like? Or, or if you have no typical day, how would you describe what you do to somebody? Who's <laughs> Total chaos all the time. It's been challenging these past few years, obviously. Uh, no one could have expected how challenging these past few years would be. So, you know, in a typical day, I'm balancing the needs of running a business with the needs of overseeing the maritime medicine issue. So it's, it's a little schizophrenic in that sometimes I'm the CEO and sometimes I'm the chief medical officer and trying to keep all of those balls in the air can be interesting. So usually I'm just looking for problems. 
I'm always looking ahead thinking, what can bite me in the butt and what do I have to do to, to prevent that from happening? That makes perfect sense. In terms of your clients, who hires you? Is it, is it vessel owners or is it insurers? And how does that work? That's a really good question. We work primarily with vessel owners. So looking at where we can make the biggest difference is usually working directly with vessel owners to make sure that their crew and their ships are primed for success, to make sure we can mitigate any risks early on and then be available for response. We do work with insurers as well, especially on the back end. If something happens and it requires case management and further assistance working through the healthcare system, sometimes we'll partner with insurers there. I definitely see a lot more opportunity for us to work with insurers. I think our services do represent a kind of best practices in the industry. And you know, we're all aligned. That's what I really like about this industry. Everybody wants the same thing. We all want a healthy crew. So I think that our services do align with what most insurers are trying to accomplish as well. Yeah. How would you describe the value proposition that Discovery Health MD offers? We can function as an outsourced medical director. So, you know, a lot of large companies, especially in the oil industry, will have an own in-house medical director, but most maritime companies don't have that. So we can offer that. You know, we can take all that expertise that's necessary for managing the medical and health needs of a workforce and take that off a company's hands. So we focus really on risk management. We focus on mitigating and preventing injuries and illness. And then if something does happen, really making sure that gets taken care of proactively and in the most efficient way possible. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That makes sense. I, I would think that oftentimes uh, vessel owners are, are reacting to things, but if you uh, if you, you take some initiative before something happens, it's just that much more prepared for, for when an emergency does occur. When we first talked about your coming on the podcast, I got the sense that you aren't just providing healthcare, but you've got kind of a greater sense of mission and purpose. Am I right? And, and if so, how would you describe that? Our origin story was interesting. I didn't finish the story of how we really got started. I was in emergency medicine and uh, finishing my business degree when I met who would become my future husband, Dr. Ray Jarris, and he was the head of the emergency department in Ballard. And Ballard was really the home port for most of the Pacific Northwest and Alaska fishing fleet. So back in the day, if something happened on board, they just called the ER and talked to him. And obviously you can't do that anymore. So he was the one who really introduced me to a lot of the players in this industry and helped me to articulate what I had been trying to do in occupational health and emergency medicine. And so together, we were just so philosophically aligned with what we were trying to accomplish and managed to use the maritime industry as a great use case for this. Ray, unfortunately, passed away from cancer in 2018. And the only silver lining of that is that we had time to really work through this and to understand what his vision was. And both he and I are very service-oriented. I mean, we love medicine. And uh, this has given us a chance to really enjoy practicing medicine again. So we do this because we love it. And for me, there's a lot of carrying on Ray's legacy and making sure that, that I'm treating people the way that he, would, that he would treat people. And that brings me a lot of joy. I can certainly understand that. That's a great story. You mentioned before about working with a vessel owner in advance and kind of getting them prepared kind of along the lines of loss prevention. What specifically do you guys do from loss prevention's perspective? Yeah, I think that's the most important thing. We view our services in three buckets. There's prevention, response, and then post-event management. And by far the most important is prevention. Ray used to tell me a story of people would come to him and say, how can we reduce the cost of medevacs? 
And his point was, once you've hit a medevac, it's been a failure of multiple opportunities. Um, there's so many opportunities to prevent a medevac in the first place that you should maximize those. So in terms of loss prevention, I would say a robust fitness for duty program is by far the most important thing. And it can be right-sized for any work environment. People have different requirements is what's necessary under fitness for duty, whether you're a licensed mariner or not. It also depends where you're working. If you're just in a harbor, that's one thing versus if you're in the Bering Sea. So we really like to work with companies to right-size a cost-effective fitness for duty program. But I think that is by far the most important thing that can be done to reduce claims and to reduce illness and injury at sea. You also provide advice about the med chest on vessels as well? Yeah, so that's interesting for U.S. flag vessels. There really are very few guidelines. Many foreign flag vessels will have flag state requirements, but the United States is pretty silent on what you should have. So we try to work with each unique vessel, their size, their operating arena, their crew, if they have specific medical needs, what kind of storage they have on board, and provide them with a recommended inventory. Uh, And that changes. That changes as we get to know a client and we get to know their crew. But we also provide a controlled substances program. So we will manage all controlled substances, whether pain medications or sedatives, and make sure that we're tracking each unit and monitoring that and doing it in a DEA compliant way. So that's a very good risk management tool because diversion of controlled substances is a big problem in every industry. I imagine it would be, you would derive a lot of pleasure from the fact that it sounds like your relationship with your clients, it's not just kind of a one and done and react and move on to the next thing. You stick with a client over the long term and adapt and really get to know them and their business. Yeah, I I love that too. I I just had a meeting with our very first client. I just had a meeting this morning with one and introduced him to our team, which has grown tremendously. And it was just fun. You know, it's like we've been through so much together and we're there to help. So it is really a relationship that we have with each client and we're there for them. One person said to me, I like working with you because you answer your phone. It's like, (laughs) I'm not afraid to tackle hard problems. And I would rather you call me with a problem early than wait and call me three weeks later when I can't do anything about it. We are the medical experts, and we're here to help you when you have a medical question. We're not going to leave you in the dark flailing. Right. The pandemic has changed so much, and I heard you allude to earlier the growth that Discovery Health MD uh, has gone through. How did that pandemic affect your company? It's, it's been a ride. Um, so we started the company in 2016 and uh, brought on our first clients in 2017. And by 2020, we were a small, stable company. I had eight employees and we had a, a you know good client base and we were kind of figuring out our next strategy for growth. And I guess the opportunity presented itself. <laughs> so we were in a very good place in 2020 because we already were a remote company. I used to say, you know, I was sick of sitting in traffic in Seattle. So I insisted on building a remote company early on and that helped. Um, people would call us and say, hey, are you guys okay? Can, are you going to continue to provide services. And I said, this, this didn't affect us at all. Going remote didn't change our workflows at all. So that was helpful. We were in a position where we could respond because we weren't scrambling to figure out how to continue to operate. And then working with the Pacific Northwest and Alaska fishing industry, I do have to give that industry a tremendous amount of credit. They were so well organized and so ready and willing to do what needed to be done to respond. So working with them, working with the states of Washington and Alaska, we just kind of got sucked into the hurricane. We now have over 300 employees. It's just become this monstrous thing, but it's exciting. I think a lot of healthcare companies did see growth during COVID. And the question is now in a post-COVID world, 
how do we take that growth and plow it back into the core business and, and do all the things we wanted to do in 2020 when we didn't have those resources. Wow. So go, you went from eight employees to 300. That's remarkable. What was it that specifically necessitated that kind of growth? Did you offer additional services or different services? It was really being, you know, it, it was really right place, right time. So that growth is predominantly in COVID testing, vaccination, and therapeutics. Uh, okay. Really, that growth was really in COVID response. We did grow our core business. Um, obviously, through this, it was probably the best marketing we possibly could have had. We got to know everybody in the industry. So we did continue to grow our core business during that. But the large growth is all around COVID services. Mm-hmm. And for us, again, really right place, right time. Seattle was the epicenter of the outbreak. The University of Washington was the leader in testing in early 2020. So just through working those connections we had locally, I viewed it as we kind of were a month ahead of everybody. The pandemic hit Seattle a month before everybody else. So we were figuring things out a month before the rest of the country. And kind of stayed that way. What a crazy time that was. And we still have so much uncertainty, even though case counts seem to be coming down and people are (laughs) living normal lives again, uh, it seems. But setting the pandemic aside, or maybe not, what's one thing that surprised you during your time serving the maritime industry? Yeah, when I first uh, got introduced to the maritime industry, I was surprised by the lack of standardization for an industry that's so highly regulated. It's really just a free for all when it comes to uh, healthcare in terms of, you know, what level of training you have on board, what you have in your medical chest, what type of uh, diagnostic resources you have, what's available in ports, what type of medical advice you're getting. It's, it's really still the wild west. So there is nothing but opportunity to improve that system. I think that's what surprised me the most, you know, for an industry that's been around for thousands and thousands of years, there's not a lot of structure around the medical response on board. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No, that makes sense. And every company is different, but uh, you're right. There's not that that standardization or, or, I guess, regulatory framework when it comes to those types of things. What's one thing that you wish you you had known when you first started Discovery Health MD? It's funny. I, I've thought about that question, and I've thought about the past six years, and uh, what's happened over these past six years has been so unknowable that I'm actually kind of glad I didn't know any of it. <laughs> if you had told me this was going to be my pathway, I think I would have just taken a nap. <laughs> so I don't have an answer for that. It has been such an amazing journey, and I've learned so much that just keeping an open mind uh, and taking things as they came has been that. Um, I don't think I would have done anything significantly different. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I learned things, made mistakes and fixed that, but I don't think knowing anything more would have helped. I think I knew what I was getting myself into. <laughs> well, that's good. In terms of your the subsectors in the maritime industry that you serve, I heard you mentioned fishing. Is that predominantly your client base? Are you in shipping as well? Where, how does that all shake out for you? So we do work with every segment We support ships nationwide. We do support foreign flag vessels as well. So we are not limited by geography or by sector. We work with towing. We work with research vessels, private yachts. uh, We work in oil, transportation. We work in cargo. So you name it, we can support it. The fishing fleets are probably our core business in the sense that, you know, this is where we're geographically located and they're complicated. If you can coordinate medical care in Alaska, you can do it anywhere. Um, I have to say that's really been the most complicated place to to work and to figure out operations. But I think that's something that we do very well. Why is it complicated? What makes it so? Weather (laughs) and remoteness. Um, You know, there are very few places in the world, maybe the South Pacific. But other than that, there are very few places where you're three days to a week from medical care, Mm -hmm. where, you know, you call the Coast Guard and 
they may or may not be able to fly. Uh, you better have about seven different plans in your pocket because it's going to change based on weather. And then even when you get them to land, you still have to get them to a major city. And frankly, once you get them to a major city, you may need to get them to a more specialty hospital. So it's complicated. The timing is complicated. Understanding the resources available is complicated and coordinating those resources is very complicated. That makes sense. Are there changes that you would foresee in maritime medicine, say, five, 10 years out from now? I think what excites me most about what came out of COVID is that people are much more comfortable with doing their own testing and diagnostics, that it really did break a barrier to entry to interacting with your own medical care and managing your own medical care. So I do think in the next five to 10 years, remote diagnostics are going to proliferate. Uh, They're going to become more common on board. You know, whether that's point of care testing, whether that's ultrasound, whether that's rhythm strips on your phone or your Apple Watch. I saw a place that has portable brain MRIs that you could (laughs) stick on a cruise. I mean, it's incredible. The technology is just incredible. So I think the next five to 10 years, we're going to see more remote diagnostics available for lay people that will have very good applications in remote work areas. That's an excellent point. And it's one I hadn't, wasn't really intuitive to me because now you're right. We're used to at-home rapid COVID tests where just weren't before and see how that would be happening in the future. What would you say in your experience is, is the biggest issue when it comes to health and safety of mariners? What advice would you have for vessel owners in that regard? For the U.S. fleets, uh, it's, it's this terrible confluence of an aging workforce mm. and a dysfunctional healthcare system. So it's really going to be manifestations of chronic disease are going to be the biggest burden. It's manageable. I mean, our goal is to keep people safe and healthy and working. So it's, again, it's what I like about our fitness for duty program, that if you can identify things that are going to become problems and manage them, then you can prolong people's careers. If you put your head in the sand and ignore it, it's going to come back to bite you in a really bad place. So I do think that with the aging of the workforce, with people who delay healthcare or don't have access to healthcare, it is important to be pretty proactive about the health of your crew and get make sure people are getting the appropriate healthcare they need in order to stabilize their chronic conditions. Excellent point. I know you're passionate about your company and the people you serve. If you could magically add another work week to the year, what project would you tackle? It's going to take a lot more than a week. <laughs> My dream would be to create a, a maritime medicine fellowship. What I, what's I, one of the things that surprised me most about maritime medicine is that it doesn't live anywhere in the medical field. You know, cruise ship medicine has its place and land-based occupational health has its place, but maritime medicine doesn't have a place. You can't train in this. You can't go to a school to learn how to do maritime medicine. So Ray and I used to talk about that quite a bit. And that's something I think over the next five to 10 years, I really would like to do is to work on the ability to train other physicians to know how to do this and to do it well. That would be a great project. Why do you think that hasn't happened? Why hasn't somebody tried to do that yet? You know, I think it's the problem with the maritime industry in general is that there are huge barriers to entry. I mean, I grew up in Seattle and didn't really know about this industry. I didn't know that you could go to Maritime Academy. I didn't know these things existed. If you don't have a family member or friends in it, it's not really talked about widely. I do think there are very large barriers to entry to this industry. That's a very good point. And I think I said on a prior episode of this podcast how, you know, I'd grown up in the Pacific Northwest, but the maritime industry and our dependence on it was really not apparent to me until I started practicing as a maritime lawyer and really got to understand industry more and and how dependent we are on it. That makes sense. 
also understand you've seen some innovative things happen in Washington State specifically when it comes to better fostering diversity, equity, and inclusion in the maritime industry. Could you tell our listeners about that? I think Washington State did realize that we do have a maritime industry and that it's very important to our economy. So a few years ago, there's a Department of Commerce initiative called Maritime Blue, which was designed to spur innovation and growth in Washington's maritime economy. And they've become a great partner with us. But they are doing a wonderful job of working on diversity, equity, and inclusion and encouraging non-traditional applicants into the industry. They partnered to help build the Maritime High School in Seattle. Uh, there's a Youth Maritime Collaborative. Uh, so they're really working on outreach on finding finding people who aren't traditionally exposed to the maritime industry and helping them helping them find a pathway in. One of the barriers is sort of this, this feeling that you have to have a license or a credential or a degree. And there are entry-level ways to get in there and work your way up. So that outreach, I'm really excited about. Yeah, and so many of those jobs are good, satisfying, hard, but also uh, well-paying jobs. And just by raising that awareness, I think, I, I hope at least that that would, would have a positive effect. What would you say is a, a common myth or misperception about the maritime industry? I think it, it goes hand in hand with that. I think there's a myth that you have to be a man, first of all, mm-hmm. um, that women don't have a place there, which is very untrue and uh, changing rapidly. So I think that's the biggest myth is that A, you have to have a license or a credential and B, you have to be male. And it's changing rapidly. It, I sort of laugh. If I take a step back, the maritime industry to me reminds me of medicine in the 70s and 80s. And it has a lot of growing up to do, but it's going to happen. The new generation of mariners is not going to put up with some of the uh, attitudes and um, and culture that uh, still exists. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, and there have been shifts from time to time in the maritime industry. You know, one big seismic shift was when the fishing industry went from the derby days to uh, rationalization. That had a huge effect on it. But some might say that the, the industry is slower to move along than than we like it to be. So I've asked you a lot of questions, Dr. Jarris, but what's one question that I should have asked you but didn't? I don't think we've talked about COVID enough. (laughs) (laughs) There's nothing else I'd rather talk about. (laughs) You had had mentioned um, that, you know, we're at a point where things are kind of calming down and case counts are down. But I have to say, two years in, I'm just as confused as to what our plan is as a nation. It's unbelievable the just the confusion and conflicting communication around this that we're still dealing with right now. So I get a lot of questions from people of, you know, how, how should we function? You know, what, what should we do as a company? And, you know, we were very involved in the very beginning when, the, when there was no advice. We were very involved in it. And then I stepped yep. back and I was like, okay, it's time for the regulatory agencies to take this over. But I think we're at a time now where we need to step back in. So I actually am working with Maritime Blue, I'm working with the University of Washington Institute for Health Metrics and Evaluation, and we're putting an employer webpage together mm-hmm. um, where we can start to give employers some guidance. The event that really spurred this in my mind was when the CDC changed isolation to five days. That just yeah. confused everybody. And, it's, and they were clear. The CDC was clear that that only applied to individuals and not workplaces, but every workplace seized on that. I was yeah. like, no. <laughs> so I think that especially maritime employers still need some guidance. You have a lot of options now, and it really comes down to your risk tolerance and your environment as to what you do. So we, I think we're going to step back in and start giving a little bit more guidance there. I couldn't agree more. I will say when express my personal 
kind of frustration and confusion about the notion of being able to know my own risk profile and then act on that somehow because I'm a lawyer. I'm not a doctor. So what does that mean? What are the odds of if I do this or don't do this, how am I really making a well-informed decision? And not only with the five-day change, but also the messaging around boosters, when and who and how often, all of that's quite confusing. At least I found it to be. Yeah, you're not alone. You're yeah. not alone. And we've all worked yeah. together to find these answers and they change. I mean, that's the problem. Every week, the answers change. So I find that it's we've been doing this on sort of a one-by-one basis of uh, helping people understand how to assess their own personal risk or the company's own personal risk. But I'd like to put some more structure around that at this point. Yeah. yeah. I think I, I read recently that Dr. Anthony Fauci was quoted, I hope I'm not misstating this, but felt that the U.S. is probably more in an endemic phase than a pandemic phase, which also confused me given how many cases there still are out there. But I remember when, when we kind of got to this point with vaccinations of talking to the fishing industry and saying, mm-hmm. you know, you now have every tool you need to respond. Nothing new is, nothing new is going to happen. You have everything you need. You have masks, you have PPE, you have testing, you have protocols, you have vaccines, now you have therapeutics. There's nothing new coming. So you have all these tools. And the question is, how do you deploy them? And when do you deploy them? And what are your triggers for being more conservative? And what are your triggers for relaxing? And then how do you manage people who don't actually follow the recommendations? So whether we're endemic, whether we're due for another surge, I think the take-home message is Nothing new is, there's no new game changer on the horizon. And now it's time to use the resources we have and learn how to deploy them appropriately. Without naming names, in your experience, did you find any pushback on vaccines in the maritime industry or hesitancy? (laughs) No, not at all. Yes, of course. And, um, you know, I'm not going to name names, but it's sort of the typical group. I love engineers. I absolutely love, if I was going to be in the maritime industry, I'd be an engineer, but man, do they ask a lot of questions. (laughs) So I think we got a lot of pushback from the typical groups that you'd expect, people who maybe trust the government less, want some autonomy, really are very conservative about making data-driven decisions. So there was a lot of education that happened. The mandates were the best thing to happen to get people vaccinated. And I do it did save lives. There's no two ways about that. But I don't think it was any worse in the maritime industry than any other industry. And it's just been a matter of, of staying the course and being consistent in your messaging. Yeah. If I recall correctly, you were out and doing a lot of education in 2020 as soon as things kind of set in. And have you continued to do that, the outreach and education on COVID? Or is that absolutely, slow? absolutely? And it's been, we uh, run testing and vaccine sites for the state and the county as well. And so it's been really difficult as the booster rules and the new vaccine approvals come through, just staying on top of that. You know, I kind of want to take a deep breath and relax, but we are still waiting for the infant vaccine approval. And that's just going to be another big change in workflows, too. So the education has been nonstop. Yeah. Yeah. And that's not going away anytime soon, it sounds like. It's not going away anytime soon. (laughs) Well, Dr. Jarris, one thing I'd love to be able to do is see if you could share the best way for our audience to learn more about Discovery Health MD or how they can connect with you if they have additional questions. Sure. Our website, discoveryhealthmd.com. It is oftentimes all things COVID. So uh, if you're looking for maritime or remote medicine resources, you got to dig a little bit, but it's there. But otherwise, if you just email info at discoveryhealthmd.com, we can uh, get you what you need and always happy to talk to people. I, you know, I, I learn something from every client and it's nice just to kind of stay in touch with players in the industry. 
Well, that's great. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Jarris, for, for joining us today. And that's all we have for this episode. We'll see you next time when you know it's Maritime.